So I was so excited. I turned away, grabbed him, put him in the chair. You know, like I did what I needed to do with his legs and everything. <laughs> Uncovering the most amazing stories for the most talented innovators and creatives in marketing, tech, and digital, this is the Wonderful People Podcast. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Wonderful People Podcast with the wonderful Phil Batman Jones and myself, Dan Robin Mordub. And uh, actually, we did find out your middle name, and it's not Batman, but we're not going to cover it, but just call you Batman for today. It's actually. Oh, yeah, there's a little bit, little bit of an Irish. Irish Catholic middle name, so there let's is. skip that one. Let's skip that today, yeah, not a good day for that. Um, yeah. So how's your week been, Mr. Jones? Uh, very enjoyable. Uh, today's Friday, so I'm getting used to Thursday night football now. And last, <laughs> yeah. last night, both your team and my team were playing. Yeah, yeah. And I I enjoyed my match. How about you? Oh, nightmare. I had it. I had, I had the football on in the second screen. I was un, unfortunately still working and sending some emails and just catching up on the day. And then obviously one nil up and okay, close the game out. What do we do? Throw it away as usual. <laughs> one all against Slava Prague. It's like, really? No I, mind. I was feeling good when that Marcus Rashford goal went in. That was a cracker. Yeah, good goal. Um, but most importantly, this week is all about our grandson's birthday today. Oh, lovely. Is that so Frank? Little, little Frank is six. Um, Babs and I are going over there later after, after the podcast. We're going over there, but we've got a cake being delivered here to us. And one of the nice things about lockdown is the neighbours. You find out all of the people with talents that aren't being put to use at work. Right. And we've got this amazing chef who lives across the road called Elise, and she's making the dinosaur cake and bringing that over here for us to take. So if it arrives in the next five, 10 minutes, none of our, none of our listeners can see it, but I will get Babs to bring it up so you two can see oh, it. Oh, so fantastic. Very I've good. Got a, I've got a feeling it might be a little bit special. Well, you guys are best grandparents ever. <laughs> yeah, I know, a homemade dinosaur cake. Fantastic. Exactly. So that, so that today's all about Frank's birthday. Happy birthday, Frank. Um, but more importantly, from Lithuania to Liverpool, today's guest knows a thing or two about grit and determination. She started her business with her partner, Marius, without a penny in the bank. Uh, I should say euro, really. Uh, but what she may have lacked in business acumen, uh, she more than made up for in passion, drive, talent and positivity. In just four years, the duo has been recognised as one of the 200 best ad photographers in the world, and they've been commissioned by some of the biggest names in business and fashion, creating iconic shots for the likes of Jimmy Choo, Stevie Gerrard, and Evertonian Sir Terry Leahy. He was one of my clients, by the way. I'll talk about that later. Constantly pushing the boundaries, thinking outside the box, and making the impossible possible. We're delighted to welcome one half of Sane 7 and the wonderful Victoria Grigayavita to share her story. The big question for Dan and I is that when she starts to speak, have those four years turned her into a scouser? <laughs> oh, here we go. Have we got the Stevie Gerrard accent? Victoria, lovely to have you with us and welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me here. 
still, I was very impressed. You nearly rightly pronounced my surname, which was amazing. Thank you for that. And I can now say officially, you definitely don't sound like a Scouser. <laughs> well, I, I guess no, but uh, Scouse accent is also quite beautiful. A bit different from Lithuanian, but still. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. And um, Victoria, the first question we always ask our guests is, uh, is one of our deeper meaningfuls. If you were to be stuck in a lift with someone, who would it be and why? I love that question. Well, if it depends on how long. If it's for the rest of my life, then obviously it's going to be my husband, Marius. But <laughs> if it's less than that, it's Barack Obama. I have always wanted to create a portrait of him. And I've been chasing him for the last two years. Actually, last year I went to New York specifically to find any contacts to get closer to him. Wow. So getting stuck in a lift with him would be really very convenient. <laughs> and you would just photograph him for the whole time? Well, perhaps I would speak a little bit as well. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Barack Obama, good answer. Yeah, and I think that's going to come up during our chat today, this thing with Barack Obama. <laughs> Does it apply also to Michelle Obama, or is it just Barack? For some reason, well, both of them are incredible souls, but for, like I just I have a severe, incredible respect for Barack Obama and his past and what he did and his views toward. I just love that man. Yeah, brilliant. Especially, brilliant. especially considering who followed him. <laughs> Let's not go there. <laughs> Let's not go there. I'm like a stalker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we, you're Barack Obama's stalker. There we go. Yeah. So. It's not quite seven years since you and your partner, Marius, founded Sane7, and you're now recognised as one of the top 200 ad photographers in the world. How did you start out in the industry, and was becoming a photographer always part of the master plan? So photography was never part of my plan until I fell in love with Marius. And so photography became kind of a, a way to get to his heart. I actually never shared the story, loudly. But um, so when I finished my first degree in sociology, I was quite lost. I didn't really know what to do next. So I went to Asia to find some inspiration. And this is where I lived in Tibetan monastery for a while. And this is how I figured out that photography is going to be my path, my career. And uh, thank God I was brave enough. I came back to UK, uh, studied, um, studied photography, got into another degree fine art in John Moore's University. And uh, at that time, I started building my building my portfolio. And uh, one day, I think this is a really interesting story, actually. One day, I found out that one editor was looking for a photographer uh, because he was starting a new magazine and he just needed someone to work with him. And uh, so I was really excited. I went to this meeting and I saw that guy, like you have like th that guy, he just looked so different, like like from the movies, like he was like a character. So I thought, okay, it's going to be complicated, <laughs> perhaps. But uh, long story short, he said no to me. He didn't really, well, he liked the photos, but I think we just didn't connect. And I was quite upset, but I thought, Right, this is such a great an opportunity. He's like he's starting this amazing magazine, art, style, and uh, travel, and I have to get into this magazine. So I didn't take the answer. No, <laughs> I came back home and I thought, okay, right. Thank God I knew the guy, well, the guys who told me about this opportunity. 
where we are the owners of a gallery. And I knew that we were going to be featured in this first issue. So we had the photos taken already by another photographer. So I saw those photos and I thought, wow, they actually look really, really bad. So I recreated those photos with those guys behind the editor's back. And I sent those photos to him. And I said, I think these are the photos you're looking for. And uh, basically from that email, I was the only photographer he used. So this is how I got um, into the magazine. So we started working with him and I worked in that magazine for, for two years. But then again, I think this is very important experience in my life because the magazine was doing really great. It became very popular. It grew up to like 2 million readers a month, perhaps. So it became quite big. We started featuring people, interviewing people like Jean-Paul Gaultier, Kate Moss, all those big names. And uh, so this magazine just started traveling around Europe, going into different fashion shows, uh, all those VP parties. And it was an invaluable experience to see behind the scenes. But what was interesting that the magazine was doing well, but financially it didn't really do well. So I didn't really get paid for that. So for two years, I literally worked for free just for the context. I mean, like when I say context, I don't mean just the context, but obviously like everything, experience and everything. So weekends, I would work in Pizza Express, but from Monday to Friday, I would live that luxury life, you know, traveling to Europe, to Capri, eating <laughs> in five-star hotel, uh, restaurants, staying in Four Seasons, uh, seeing this and that even actually getting a private jet to Mallorca to test the latest Lexus cars and, and do reviews for them. But on the weekends, you go back to Pizza Express. And I think at that time, it was, you know, when you're starting out, it's really hard to, to understand where, where is your position in society. So you kind of starting your, your status and uh, your ability to, to make it, uh, you know, to if, if you are if you are strong enough to make a career out of your dream, from your dream. And um, I forgot the point. This is, okay, this is where your grit and determination comes in, what <laughs> I described at the beginning. That most people are going somewhere and then finding out they're not going to be paid for two years. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. Just, they'd have to stop and you just stop with it. Is this, can I ask you, what made you decide to go on your own with Marius and start your own business? So being in that magazine showed me so many different opportunities. I just understood, obviously, that the world is so much bigger than we see it. And uh, publication was never my goal. So I wanted something more. I wanted more freedom. And I wanted to, just, I, I, I wanted to build something myself from scratch. So I, I left magazine. And me and Marius, we decided, OK, we have to open since 7. And... Uh, we just have to focus only on photography and, and to build brand from, from scratch, from nothing. So I was networking like crazy person. When I started in seven, I would go to like seven, 10 networking events every week in Liverpool. I wanted to build this incredible network from lawyers, doctors, to PRs, creative agency, agencies, politicians, whoever. But at that time, uh, and by the way, uh, before we opened Saint Seven, I quit Pizza Express because I decided that if if I'm going to do something, I have to do it. I have to put myself hundred percent into something because I couldn't uh, I couldn't uh, 
I didn't want to think that one day I'm this photographer doing this and that and on a weekend I'm a waitress because that my confidence went just up and down, up and down because of that. So I had to make sure that I, I have to be stable. And uh, if I'm scared, I'm scared because of photography. So I'm just going to do that. And um, so at that time, like when we started, obviously we didn't have much money. It was very scary times, but because of my networking uh, network of people that I met, I started getting some commissions and uh, slowly we started growing. And um, Marius was finishing his PhD in psychology at that time. He, and um, he was one of the luckiest people to get a um, scholarship in the Northwest that paid for all his studies and also paid a small salary. And uh, it was really scary times because obviously I left Pizza Express and we only had, to, well, we only had money to live from his salary. So from any money that I got from photography, it went into buying more and more photography equipment. And, uh, and this is kind of basically how we lived for, for maybe half a year or so. When we started since seven, a few months later, a head of fashion department from John Moose University invited me for a chat. And uh, I, thought, um, I thought she would ask me to do some kind of shoot with her student. But instead, she offered me a part-time job as a lecturer. And it was amazing. For this opportunity, I have to be grateful uh, Andrew Collins, the famous hairdresser, who recommended me to her uh, because we did like many, many photo shoots during the magazine time. But that, that job was just like a saver for me. Uh, after two years being a lecturer, uh, which was another incredible experience, by the way, well, I built my business and network, and I decided to start another chapter in my life after being offered a full-time job there. I thought, like, I don't, I don't want to stay there. I actually really now want to go and make it happen. So both me and Marius, we just uh, decided not to, to live safe and, and, uh, and just go and take, uh, you know, what is out there. And, and of course, I'm not going to lie, when some brands like Liverpool Football Club invites you for a meeting and you go there before presentation and you want to show them your portfolio and they tell you that we don't want to see a presentation and we don't want to see your portfolio because we've been following you for a while and we want just to create with you. And then you think, oh, God, I must be doing something right. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, that's brilliant. Really so, great story, isn't it? I yeah, think... and the whole Liverpool thing, actually, just like a Lithuanian in Liverpool. It's just, you know, it's... <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's obviously, it's very scary, especially it's scary when you, you when English is not your first language and, uh, and all this accent and stuff, and when you have to go and make it happen, you always think, oh my God, I'm just this foreigner immigrant. What I'm doing here? <laughs> actually, when you, when you get excited during this interview, we should say, calm down, calm down. You should, definitely. <laughs> definitely. And I will be very, very grateful for that. Oh, God, Dan's going to calm you down with his next question. So, I mean, an incredible story, you know, and I think for those listeners that kind of want to take a leap of faith in their career or moving on to the next thing, your, your story is so encouraging. You've obviously, you know, moving your career on a little bit, you've photographed some incredible business leaders, then you've done a lot of campaign and advertising work. So just sticking on to the business leaders side of things, is it 33 incredible business leaders you managed to interview and photograph? What would you say are some of your biggest takeaways? Have you learned anything along the way? 
anything that you kind of you think you know uh, you know I'm, I'm going to take that one with me I think there's some stuff with some Sir Terry Leahy um you've got a story there so yeah just tell us a little bit about that okay so the book uh it's actually again this is another very interesting point in career I think you know when people tell you that you can't do things you feel like okay watch me I'll show you what I can't and what I can't so when we started the Saint Seven, we didn't really have any experience in business, and uh, and we, we, me and Marius, we always like curious about why some people are more successful than others. Right. So why, you know, why, 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 yeah, why some people have enough courage to go and do things, and some people they just always watch that. So. We went to some business courses, which we didn't like because they put us in the box and it wasn't for us. And then we thought, why don't we actually go and speak to those 33 incredible leaders and find out directly from them so what it means to be successful and how can you become a successful person? So when we started the project, we had this amazing list of people we wanted to get, to photograph, to interview. And many people told us, you are idiots. You will never be able to get them. Like, forget, you don't have names. Like, you are nobody. You know, like, people paying huge amounts of money for people like Sir Terry to come on stage and talk. And now you two want to get him in your book. Forget. So, long story short, we got 33 people, most of the people that we wanted, thanks to Marius and, uh, and his emails, emails because you always say there is there is only the right uh, wording in the emails I mean like there is nothing what if you ask someone correctly people will always say yes to you but you just need to think how to ask it so the biggest outtake from the book was can I tell that in in um, in, in in quotes because I I, I got Last night I looked at some quotes and I thought, oh my God, those quotes are amazing. And these Fantastic. are so, so true. So the biggest uh, takeaway, you know, none of us are Superman. We bleed, we cry, we suffer, we are all human. It was Graham Morris, the uh, former CEO of Rolls-Royce and Bentley who said that. And um, and we used uh, his uh, quote for, for, the, for the book title, none of us are Superman. I thought it was very cool. Another really cool quote was by, by Sir Terry Leahy. He said, we all need a little help along the way, which is quite famous, I suppose, when we go to Tesco and we see every little help. Brilliant. <laughs> and um, uh, another one, like also very, very important, I think, Steve Morgan, uh, he said, um, the harder you work, the luckier you get. And then again, this is so, so true because people come to you and they say, oh, but you are so lucky. You get access to all those people you photograph and you do this and that and that. But then people forget how much effort you have to put, how much hard work you have to put, how, mu- how many nightless, you know, sleepless nights you have to have to, to come up with some concepts, uh, not even concepts, like anything. There is no such thing as luck. It's only, in my opinion, as well, it's only a hard work. No, that's great. And then that's why hearing your story is so important. Because as you said, you know, you do some incredible work and you've achieved some incredible things. But to hear the backstory of where you started and the brave steps that you've taken is absolutely brilliant. And so, yeah, and, and yeah, some fantastic quotes there. Are you enjoying our podcast? Remember to subscribe, share and leave us a review. But then also, you know, your work moved a lot into campaign and advertising. 
and you've worked with a number of sort of well-known names here. Can you tell us a little bit about your work in this area? I think, again, this is a very interesting question uh, because when people think about campaigns uh, and adverts, they think that you have to be, like you have to specialize in very, very specific area. Like in our case, it wasn't the case. Uh, again, the very first campaign, huge campaign that came towards uh, our way, uh, we created uh, for Simba, Simba Mattress. And I still, by this day, I have no idea why the creative director actually chose to work with us. And, uh, but then again, it was all about reputation and he heard really amazing uh, stuff about us from other clients, other people. Because me and Marius, we have this philosophy. Uh, we always say we don't really like to work for people. We love working with people, which means we love, you know, we, we love giving ourselves for, 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 for this big idea because anyone can come and uh, take a photo. It's just click, click, click. But not everyone can actually not think about nine to five and spend every single day, every single hour of your day actually doing a lot of research, uh, contemplating, fi finding the right things. So this, the Simba campaign was incredible and um, it won quite a lot of uh, awards around. And it was incredible because also it was me and Marius who helped to come up with that, uh, with that concept. Uh, I'm not really sure if, you, if you've seen that campaign, Sleeping Patterns. But it was uh, the buses were wrapped in London, the trams were wrapped in, in Amsterdam. It, it was beautiful to see that work out there. But, but then again, it comes everything to those connections. The harder you work, the luckier you get. And uh, I think there was, uh, there was something in when you were talking about the 33 leaders. And I think I read something that Sir Terry Leahy, when he was running late, he was phoning you all the way to tell you that he was running late. He didn't just turn up late. And that's a real character thing, isn't it? It says more about somebody than agreeing to do something. So is that is that true? It's not true that he was late. It was very interesting, actually, because it, it, we have so much more. For him, it was incredible. He was coming from London to Manchester for this photo shoot that we agreed to do. Wow. And uh, he he was on time, but before he came, five minutes before his real time of arriving, he called Marius and he said, I'm five minutes away. I'll be I'll be with you in five minutes. And we thought it was incredible gesture, like uh, you know, he could just come and not say anything, but no, instead, I think all those small gestures show so much about people and what they are, who, who we are, what we stand for. And it was a big lesson as well, how people treat people. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and brilliant. speaking of that, the, the last time we were able to organize a Podge lunch was a year ago. And about 18 months ago, we approached you, we being the little Podge team, approached you to come up with uh, and help us with our theme, you know, our prison theme. And when you did that shot, that you, when you told me what you wanted to do at the lunch and photograph a hundred plus people during the course of the afternoon, and then put it all into one poster and add music 
to it. I, I honestly thought this is never going to happen. Uh, partly because trying to get 100 people to do anything that they're told uh, when they're having a drink is difficult. But uh, the way you handle that was quite incredible. And I've been sending that link to as many people as I can because it's just so fantastic. So thank you for doing that. You know, Phil, report events mean so much to me. This is another incredible big part of my life that I learned so many things from people. And uh, that, that photo shoot, by the way, it was incredible what we did, like 100 people in three or four hours. I'm still amazed that I photographed, you know, over 100 people in such a short period of time. But uh, it, it was wonderful to get to know people behind the camera. Oh. That's but you were also doing it on a, a strict diet that, that <laughs> meant you couldn't eat and you could only drink water. <laughs> it's like everyone around you was eating, drinking, laughing, and you're just there shooting those pictures, which I, I found incredible. Oh, so, thank you. I know sometimes I, I just do those crazy stuff. <laughs> yeah, so you and Marius are both strong believers that no one has privileged access to creativity. Um, tell us a little bit more about what you mean by that and how it shaped you as a duo. I think the most important thing is not to assume someone is better or worse than you. And I think in many, many cases, you know, especially nowadays, we all have very different titles and the titles can really scare people. And for some reason, someone thinks if you are executive creative director, you must be you must have this access to, to, to those creative minds, to this creative, you know, creative concepts. But it's not, uh, but it's not true. You know, sometimes a cleaner can have as, as many ideas as someone else. And I think we just have this belief in, in, in our hearts and our minds. When we work with anyone, we are open to anything because we, we know that the ideas, the creativity can come from anyone. So it doesn't limit to, to your title or you know your job title for example then then you are on photo shoots and you work with big creative agencies and uh, and someone comes to you and says that actually you know this is how it should be and you think actually no I don't think it has to be like that because and then you argue why you don't think why you think it could be better and then if someone is clever enough they would listen or if someone has big egos they would still go for their own ideas even if uh, it's not always right so i think uh, we all have amazing source of creativity but we just need to respect other people as well and to understand that everyone can can be creative the, the shots you did for me at the the original point there was a few people with egos there but you just told us all where to stand where to look which way to no one had a choice <laughs> you just took over you were a bussy lady I was, but I think I think when it comes to photography, I I just I think through life, through through all those years, you've done so many mistakes and you failed so many times. And I think you just learn from that and you know what's right, what's not right. And if if you if you have this feeling it's 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 the way it has to be, then I think at the end of the day, clients, people will tell thank you to you because at the end of the day, people come to you because for who you are and what you do. And if you don't express your opinion, I think it's not right. 
No, that's brilliant. <laughs> that's really good. And, and I think as well, I think it's really encouraging people to hear that because I think the attitude and that kind of that ability to believe in yourself is so important, isn't it? And but also at the same time, be be kind to others and treat others in in, in the right way. And I think our industry sometimes gets a reputation for you know not the right reputation in those areas. So it's lovely to hear that. Then again, I think especially from photography side, you know, uh, and if any photographers are listening, I just wanted to share one story. Uh, one uh, once uh, again, it was really big brand we worked with and. Uh, and creative director keeps saying to me, um, you know, we need to shoot from this angle, from this angle, from that angle. And I knew it wasn't right. And at that time, maybe like three, four years ago now, I wasn't brave enough to see actually this is wrong angle. This is not the right. But no, it was all about the branding, but from that angle. And, uh, and then they showed those images, those campaign images to the board and they refused to use them. And it was really, really painful. It was one of the biggest mistakes I've done in my life, but it was one of the best mistakes, actually. So from that, we lost a lot of money. Obviously, we didn't charge for that campaign. But the thing was, from that day, I thought, I will never, ever, ever do anything what I don't feel like it's right, because I knew it wasn't right. Why did I say that? Because I thought, well, he's creative director. They are clients, and they know much better than you do. And it was a good, good lesson not to do that way. But like you said, of course, you need to treat everyone with respect. I'm not talking about about that part of you know thing, but uh, but it's, I think it's if you just have to sometimes stand for yourself and That's do right. what what you think is right. That's right, brilliant. Okay. Uh, some of your photographs are incredible, and the setting, the staging. How much time goes into the planning of a shoot? And how do you manage it when you've often just got 10 minutes with the person that you're photographing? Um, well, it, it can be very complicated. It can be months, it can be days. But uh, if I, I can share a couple of stories. <laughs> okay, with Jimmy Chu. Uh, so it was... Uh, I'm not sure if anyone knows, but Jimmy Chu, it's not a very public person. He doesn't really like taking photos of him. And if you Google him, you will only find a couple photos of Jimmy Chu, uh, a person behind the Jimmy Chu brand, of course. So then I had to photograph him. Uh, we did like a setting, a set uh, next to the National Portrait Gallery. As you can imagine, it was public space. It wasn't really... Uh, photographically photographically appealing and uh, and we had to wait for him he was he was late maybe like by three four hours <laughs> and uh, and we had to wait for those like five ten minutes of the shot so when he arrived we had already a plan what we wanted to do with him and i was standing there in front of my computer trying to show him what i'm planning to do with him and I didn't see him, but he was standing behind my back. And he had his PAs, PRs, and, and assistants, maybe like seven people with him. And, and he was like, I didn't see that. But after people told me, he was kind of standing there and saying, no, like kind of, no, I'm not going to do this. And uh, so I was so excited. I turned away, grabbed him, put him in the chair, you know, like I did what I needed to do with his legs and everything. And he was, <laughs> he sat there. He stood, he looked at me amazed, like looked at other guys and he said, who is she? 
<laughs> but, but in, in a nice way. And, um, but, but because I did quite a lot of research upon him and I listened to his interviews and stuff. So when I started taking photos of him, I said, Jimmy, I said, what did you say to Vogue when Vogue magazine called you? Because before he became very big, Vogue magazine wanted to feature him in the magazine, but he thought the Vogue magazine wanted to steal his ideas, so he didn't want to be featured in the magazine. So it was very funny story about the Vogue and him. So then I asked him this question, what did you say when Vogue magazine called him, called you? He looked at me and he was kind of, took like a gun and said, like something like this. And, <laughs> and, I, and I got the shot and it was a beautiful shot. But just because, again, like I, I think I prepared quite a lot before I met him. And, um, and, and you then, captured yes. that moment. You captured Yeah, that. exactly. Oh, that's brilliant. Uh, just staying on that subject for a moment, because you're doing something interesting with women in data. And uh, data is something that I know Dan, Dan's business does quite a lot of work in data. But tell us a little bit about the women in data idea. Well, women in data in general, we've been working uh, on the campaigns with them for the last three, four years. It's been wonderful. Every year they select 20 very influential women in data and technology. And uh, and then they create a concept uh, around the year's theme and then they create those portraits. So, so yes. So, so again, uh, I think you have to be prepared for any, either it's commercial photo shoot or portrait, Photography, I think preparation, it's a key. Like you just have to do a lot of research. You have to come up with A, B, C, a D plan. If something goes wrong, what you will do next. So in, in my experience, in my in, in like one of the shots I did, one of the portraits I, I did for the book, for the book that we featured 33 leaders, I messed up so badly. I went, I took a portrait and it was awful and I don't understand how I failed that badly but I felt so guilty about it and I knew like I just I can't show that photo publicly it was awful but more awfully was you know it's so difficult to get those people to commit to their timings to their dates how can I ask this person again you know like my ego and everything like what can I say to him so I, I still, I was brave enough. I rearranged the portrait and I recreated the portrait of this person. And this actually, the photo won um, an award and it, it got into 200 best ad photographers. So it was actually from such a huge failure into such a huge kind of uh, right. success, if I can say that. What a great Ooh. story. No, I love that. I love that. Now, I just want to move on a little bit, Vic, in terms of, looking at you know the kind of today's digital age and i don't and i want to find out your thoughts around that because you know we've got phone cameras with incredible specs and aperture settings and apps that do digital retouching and everything's got to be you know before it goes on instagram it's got to be retouched a thousand times and obviously we, we're moving into the world where we've got the ability to create these you know deep fakes and so on and so forth and i suppose how do you see the role of technology, how does that impact, you know, a photographer such as yourself? And how do you see the sort of future of technology and digital? I think it's exciting. I right. really think it's exciting. I, I I, personally love that part of uh, technology. I use myself a lot. I 
it's incredible. You, you can have a home everywhere. You can do anything with that. But the only thing is about me being as a photographer and seeing that nowadays it's everyone a photographer. <laughs> I, and it's amazing, by the way. But I just, I think people will never replace people. So no matter what technology you have, no matter what equipment you have, but people will look for style. People will look for, for some people to create something. And I think that will be irreplaceable. Everything is replaceable, but not people and not, not personalities. Great. Love that. I love that. And that actually kind of brings me on to the next question, actually, was, you know, you're someone who specializes in, in photographing real, real life humans in most cases. You know, you can see your passion for people and some of the amazing people you've captured. Obviously, we've been in lockdown for the last year. So how have you, how have you adapted to, to, to the environment of the last year? Again, it was lockdown was a blessing in a way to, for us. Of course, it was very, very scary moments, and especially when you specialize in people's photography. But uh, Marius came up with this crazy idea that sounded crazy at the beginning. Uh, he came up with the idea to create a robot, a remote robot. So actually that. And we did that, and we did a project already with that, so it's working. So what we did, we kind of put the bits together, we made a robot, we traveled, for example, then someone takes that robot to you, to your house, and I'm staying in Liverpool, and you are, you know, like anywhere in Tenerife, for example, and that robot is delivered to your place, and uh, I'm just connecting to the computer, and I can control that robot from, from my device. I can tell you what to do, how to wow. pose. I can make you feel relaxed and stuff, and uh, and I create those photos. So this is what we did over the lockdown. We got involved with one huge project that will be released in in May, and we photographed uh, 20 women around UK, uh, not being in contact with any of them, and uh, and creating that way. So it's definitely possible. Lockdown can bring can make you think uh, outside the box. Wow, that is one of the coolest bits of innovation I think I've heard of during lockdown. That's brilliant. You know, lots of companies are just trying to work out how to make their website work, you know, during lockdown or, you know, get some online marketing going. And you've invented, you've made a robot that you're actually using as part of your photography, you know, kind of shoots. Yeah, so, of course, you know, when you see that, it sounds really kind of huge and amazing. I wish we would be we would be able to see we kind of made that robot from scratch. Obviously <laughs> yeah. not. We kind of combined the yeah, existing things that, parts. Yeah. But it's really exciting because at this moment we are working with actually huge brand that we see the value in that robot and we think that we can take that to exactly. the next stage. So who knows? It might be the future of photography. And do you see do you see these sort of these sort of technologies as sort of being part of your future? I, I, I personally think it would be incredible. Like, can you imagine how much time and uh, everything we could save on if, if, if you wouldn't need to travel too much? Of course, traveling is an amazing part of your life. You see, you go, you, you, you meet people. But being able to actually stay at home and photograph in the morning someone in Japan, another person photographing in, in Russia, another person in Los Angeles. In, You've in not mentioned mates, though. 
<laughs> yes, no, definitely. No, but I think it's incredible. But also, it would be incredible for people, perhaps for for disabled people as well, who can't really travel. And you right. know, they that 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 would be such a huge part, I think, in their life as well. You know, in in terms of photography and, and staying at home and being able to photograph anyone in the world. So I that's, think this is the future. That's brilliant. And you just mentioned a few few countries there. Obviously, we've been listening to your lovely Lithuanian accent for the last few minutes. And I, you know, I'm from Maidstone. We're not we people from Maidstone. We don't leave Maidstone very often, so we you know we we're not allowed out really. We're kind of quarantined permanently. So tell me one one interesting fact or one fact I wouldn't know about Lithuania. You can tell me anything, by the way. Well, Lithuania is famous for the fastest internet, but I can't remember if it's in Europe or in the world. I have a feeling in the world. Wow, the fastest internet in the world. Yes. Wow, that's cool. crazy. And yeah. another interesting fact is that Lithuania is the center of Europe. So it's geographically the center of Europe. Yes. Wow. But Dan, that screwed you because you thought Maidstone. I thought Maidstone was had the, the fastest the internet in the world. Um, <laughs> and was the center of Europe. <laughs> wow, my mind's been blown. No, that's brilliant. <laughs> that's really good. Um one of the kind of you know the questions we always ask our guests as we come kind of come to the end is we always say as an agency, wonderful are always about taking complex things and making them wonderfully simple. That's what we do. And so, what's one of life's complexities that you would like to see made simpler? Cars, definitely cars. I spend so much time driving. Right. I would. I think it would be amazing to have self-driving cars. It would be like a dream come true. Yeah. <laughs> so hopefully. Very soon this will happen. It's coming soon. Yeah, they're testing it in America already. I know there's a couple of brands that have... Um, in fact, I sat in a self-driving car, but it's probably 20, 2017, 2018, I was at a show in Germany, and I sat in a Volkswagen-made um, car, self-driving, and they're, they're testing it in the US at the moment. So... Yeah, and, but I suppose you know by the time it cut, like I, I still think we are very, very far away from from the point yeah. where we will be able to actually get those cars and those cars will replace too much any legislation and too much and too many insurance <gasps> risks and all of that stuff. But that is a good answer. I agree with you. Brilliant, Vic, Victoria. Thank you so much. It's been brilliant to spend this time with you, and thank you for uh, being on the podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to the Wonderful People podcast. This podcast was brought to you by Wonderful Creative Agency. Find out more at thewonderful.co.uk.